Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to have the Word of God in your, in your lap this morning. Luke chapter 22. And uh, I threw you guys for a loop uh, as well in the Scripture. Because <laughs> I told you we're going to be in Matthew 26. But when I was reading through it, I was like, hold on a second. This doesn't make sense. And because uh, we had already gone through the anointing of Jesus and Mary. And uh, as it happened, actually, this is where we would end up in Luke 22. And I was going to go to John 14, but I'll do that next week uh, and just go straight into the, the foot washing at the, but then the last supper thing, you know, we had to go to through this first. And so, um, again, this is uh, Luke 22, uh, traveling through a, a series we're calling Follow Me. It's the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. Typically, we do verse by verse through the Bible, but we've been doing this for about three years. We're almost done. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, and uh, literally, we're at the, the day of Passover in this passage, so it's going to start to happen quickly. Jesus is going to go to the cross, and then he's going to rise again from the dead, so it's been a great, great uh, study so far, and I look forward to the continued blessings through, through this uh, as we finish it up, so um, listen, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. There is an information card in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you fill that card out, take it to the Welcome Center. There's a gift, a little gift package there for you that gives you a little bit of information about our church, who we are, what we believe, and whatnot. So if you want to take that card, fill it out. The Welcome Center is now located directly across from the entrance of the church, and so you can take it there. Also want to welcome all those on the uh, live stream this morning. I, I want to start with just a question to pose to you. Suppose somebody walked up to you after church today and they said to you, hey, I'll give you an, I'll give you an insurmountable amount of money. Like, like you couldn't spend this, this money in, in 10 lifetimes. I will, I, will, I will give you this fortune. I, I, all I need you to do, you could do whatever you want with it. You can spend it however you want. There are no strings attached to the money you can Quit your job today. You can, you know, travel the world for the rest of your life. Whatever you want to do, you can do. This money will belong to you. The only thing we need you to do is to turn over your friend. We just want you to turn your best friend over to us because he's a little bit elusive and we're having a little bit of a difficult time capturing him. And so we need to just have a planned uh, moment where we can capture him, arrest him, and then, you know, It'll be in our hands, but we're, we'll pay you in advance to do that if you'd be willing to do that. Now, how many of you would be willing to do that? I know, hey, put your hands down, okay? Come on, man. We're in church. You're not even supposed to do that. Listen, it, what would you say? Really? I mean, be honest. What would you say? Would it take you a moment? Would you have to think about it? Would it be something that you would ponder? Would you ask qualifying questions? Uh, you know, what's the, what's the catch? How do I get, you know, w- would you go down that road or would you just say, hey, I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale. I tell you what, that question, although that's a, that situation is a f- probably a fantasy, the reality is the question is real. And we face it all the time. May not be you know, all the money in the world that you can have, but we face this question all the time. What will you give up? What will you gain in order to betray your Savior, Jesus Christ? What is it in your life that you're willing to trade to, to give up the Son of God? What is it? There's something. There is something because we're sinners. And we, we love we love things. We love, there's different things that you like in your life, and, and those things will challenge you continually as it relates to your relationship with Jesus. There is a betrayer in every one of us. There's a betrayer in every one of us, and if we're not careful, we will betray the Son of God. Not that that power lies within you, but, it, but if we have to submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life called Christian, Christianity to be a follower of Christ. And that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. We're going we're to see that there are those in this world that are sellouts, 
And then there are those in this world that are sold out, S-O-U-L-E-D, sold out to Jesus Christ. You see, the sellouts, they'll give up, uh, they'll give up anything. They'll abandon their principles. They'll abandon their people. There's no loyalty, but it's all about personal gain. Those who are sold out, there is a loyalty within. And let me say something, that that loyalty only comes through the Holy Spirit. Because you know yourself and I know myself. But we fit into one category this morning. We are either sellouts or we are sold out. There is no in-between, period. Those are the two camps of people that exist in this world. And the question is, which one are you? Are you a sellout willing to trade uh, God for the world? Are you sold out abandoning this life and pursuing Jesus with everything that you have, his kingdom, with all your heart? There are countless examples of this in the Bible of, of both of these kinds of people, sellouts and those who are sold out. I want to see if you can distinguish uh, between the two this morning. So I'm going to call out some names, and I, and I want you to tell me whether they are sellouts or sold out. You want to play this game? Yeah, you guys ready? Okay, put your, put your Bible hats on now. Okay, so, so I start with, obviously... I'm going to start with Abraham. Is he a sellout or sold out? Sold out, right? He, he left his land to go to a land he didn't even know where he was going. What about Esau? Sold out or sold out? He's a sellout. He's a sellout. This guy gave up his birthright for a sensual bowl of stew. Don't think it was about the stew. It was about the feeling in the stew. It was sensuality that he sold himself out to. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Sold out, man. They, they, they stood in the fire for the Lord. They would not deny him. Daniel, sold out. Hey, what about Gehazi, Elisha's servant? You guys know him? Sell out. Dude, this guy had the audacity after Elisha had turned, uh, turned away this gift that was going to be given for the healing that, that he went out and he got it. He took off after it. He goes, I'll be back in a second. And he runs after, I think it was Naaman, and he said, hey, I'll, uh, I'll take the gift that you want to give. And uh, he comes back, and Elijah says, hey, uh, where have you been? Who, me? What, you, you noticed my new shoes? What, what's going on here? And he came back, and he said, oh, I haven't been anywhere. And he got leprosy as a result of that. He got the leprosy that Naaman was healed with. What about Balaam? Balaam, sell out, come on. That guy was willing to give up his own people. He, he didn't curse the people, but he told Balak how to curse the people. He sold out. What about Micah's Levite priest in Judge, Judges 17? Perhaps you remember 10 shekels in a shirt. He's a sellout. He was a sellout. What about Hezekiah after God added 15 years to his life? Sellout. He was a sellout, man. The last 15 years of his life were the worst 15 years of his life. After God had done an incredible thing and adding 15 years to his life, he sold out. And the Lord told him, hey, I'm, uh, you know, trouble's going to come on this land, but not while you're alive. And you know what his response was? Good. Good. Just as long as it doesn't happen to me while I'm alive. Whoa. Crazy. Crazy. What if your name was inserted in that today. What would your answer be? Are you a sellout or are you sold out? Again, truth is that we've all been sellouts before. But not all of us have been sold out. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Stand with me if you would, please. I want to read a few verses from Luke chapter 22. Looking at this account Beginning in verse 1, we read, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, him being Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was, the number of the, who, was one of the, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him. To them, in the absence of a crowd, 
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for drawing us close to you, Lord. We know the reality, God. Had you not drawn us, we would not have come. Had you not wooed us to yourself, God, we would not be here this morning. We would be out pursuing ourselves. We would be fulfilling the number one person in our lives, us. Because of you, Lord, we can truly say that we are sold out, Lord, that we are people that love you dearly, Lord, because you first loved us. So today, Lord, I pray that you would just help our hearts to be broken. Lord, for those who are in that place of being sold out, maybe it's us today. Maybe we've sold out to something. Lord, would you by your spirit come and speak to our hearts? Convict us, Lord. Correct us. Train us. Lord, draw us close. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and teach us now. Have your way, Lord. And get me out of the way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are three things I want to show you out of this text this morning that will determine whether you are a sellout or you're sold out. The first thing that we see here is that uh, love of self is a surety to selling out. If you love yourself, you will sell out for sure. It's a guarantee. Check this out in verse 1 there. It's the feast of the unleavened bread. It's called the Passover, and you have the, the, it's the time where the, 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 all of the Jewish people would draw near to Jerusalem. They would come, and they would worship the Lord, and they would remember the Passover. It was an important time in this culture where they were reflecting backwards, remembering what God had done in Egypt. Now, we know Egypt is a picture of the world. We know that it's a picture of God bringing us out of bondage and bringing us into the promised land, which is this relationship with him. And he promised them that, and he, he followed through with it, and he told them in Exodus chapter 12 that I want you to continue on remembering this, this moment in the history of Israel because this will be a picture forever. This will forever be a picture of what I will do for people. I am a deliverer. There is redemption in this story, and they are being reminded of the redemption of God through the blood of a lamb. And so they would celebrate this time of Passover. It was the time when God told Moses to go to the children of Israel. He had plagued Egypt nine times already. And the the, the heart of the Pharaoh continued to be hardened. And so God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. So we get to the 10th plague here, and the Lord says, I'm going to send an angel of death over the land, and I'm going to kill the firstborn of every, every person and every animal. And the only way that you're going to be re- saved from that, redeemed by that, is through the blood of a lamb. So I want you to take a lamb, and it's got to be specific. It, this lamb has to be one year old. You have to take this lamb. He has to be unblemished. He has to be a male. And I want you to choose him four days before the Passover. So it was the 10th day of the month that they chose the lamb. The 14th day of the month, the lamb would be slain. There's a four-day gap there. Now, during that four days, the Lord says in Exodus chapter 12 that the people were to keep the lamb separate. They were literally to take the lamb, separate him from the sheep and the goats or whatever, and they were to bring that lamb literally in their home. Now, that sounds cute to have a one-year-old lamb in your home, doesn't it? It's oh, how cute. You know, such a little guy. No, wrong. These things were like 90 pounds. Like, you know, your kids, 
literally, your little ones could ride this thing. You know, you could see, hey, mom, look, Judah's on the Passover lamb. You know, he's riding around the house and stuff. You know, no, we don't, we, you know, be all careful because we don't want to blemish on the lamb. Don't do that. But, but they were to take this lamb and they were to bring it into their home for four days. Now, what, what would be the purpose of that? Why is God asking them to keep that lamb in that way? Listen, because God wanted them to have a relationship with the lamb. He wanted them to have a personal knowing of the lamb. He wanted that lamb to, to, for them to understand in order for them to be saved, in order for redemption to happen, that lamb has to be slain for them. They, he wants them to understand the weight of sin and the fact that it takes blood, perfect blood, in order to cover their sin. What a picture that is of what God is asking the children of Israel to do. And they would do this year after year after year after year. And on the 14th day of the month, they would take that lamb to the, to the temple there, and that, then they would slay that animal. They would slit his throat. The, the priest would take a bull. They would capture the blood, and they would take that blood, and they would pour it at the basin of the altar. they say, here is my sacrifice to the Lord. And then they would take that, that lamb, and they would raise that lamb up, and they would hook him on silver hooks. They would literally raise him up like he's being crucified. They would open him up, and they would skin the lamb. And then the lamb would be taken back down, and they would take that lamb to their house, and they would put a pole through the mouth, down through the end, and they would take him and roast him. Now, sometimes, you know, what would happen is they would run out of these silver hooks. They would... They, it was estimated that they would slay up to 200,000 of these lambs in three hours. Between the, the, the period of three to five, they would bring 10, some, some commentators say 10 to 30 different groups in at a time. They would blow the chauffeur. They would be chanting Psalm 113 to 118. They would slit the throat. They would take the blood, and they would just do it over and over and over again. The, the clean sanctuary of, of the court was just totally marred with blood everywhere. Blood was flowing everywhere. It was a, a disaster. It looked like a war zone had happened there. And sometimes as they would run out of hooks, they would have to take a pole and they would slam the pole through the shoulders not to break any bones of the, of the lamb and they would raise that lamb up on that pole. They would skin him. They would wrap him back in his, uh, his skin. They would take that, that lamb to the house and they would then take that pole and ram him down the other way and it would make a cross. And they would roast him that way. And it's, it's estimated by many historians back in this time that, that thousands and thousands of lambs would be delivered over to the people like that, that they would be crucified and they would be taken to their homes as if, uh, what, a, what a picture of the cross. It's a picture of cro the cross and what the Lamb of God has done for us. That is the importance of this celebration and so they did this year after year after year after year, just like you go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And if you're not careful, you slip into routine and you lose the heart of why you're doing what you're doing and you're not really worshiping God anymore. You're not really bowing at his throne. You're just coming because that's what you do. You know, when you lived in Jerusalem during this time or if you were a Jew during this time, that's what you did. There was no getting around it. At, you, at age 20, you were required, every male was required to be there on this um, feast. And so there were, this thing turned into routine. And you can see that when things turn into routine, how easy it is for us to slip into this mode of just, being, of just going through the motions and missing the entire point. Missing the entire point. Listen, my prayer for our church is that we don't slip into the, into the motions. Just going through the motions, just coming to church, in and out the doors like it's turnstile worship, and we're just in and out, and we're not making any difference in the world, and we're not really making any difference being here. My prayer is that we would be broken people when we come in, and that we would be broken people when we leave, talking about pride, talking about our need for Christ, and understanding just as much as they needed that Passover lamb in Egypt, how much we need the Passover lamb today every second of our lives. 
that when we come in these doors, we're reminded that there was a lamb that was crucified for us, that he was strung up, he was hung publicly for you, that he was beaten brutally, that he bled for you, and then he died for you. And then he rose again from the dead for you. And that we live in that constant reminder. And that's why we partake of communion once a month here at our church. You know, we want to be reminded on a regular basis of what Jesus has done for us. But really, we should, from the second we wake up to the moment we should go to bed, we should be reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And let it not cause us, to, you know, that we've heard it so often that we slip into routine. Because if you slip into routine, you will sell out. If you slip into routine, you will sell out. That's exactly what happens to these people in this situation here, in, the, in, the, in our story. We see that these, it was the, the chief priests and the scribes, they were seeking how to put to death Jesus. They wanted him to be put to death. They wanted him to die. We have a little bit of an, of a, of a, an account in Matthew's gospel that tells us about this meaning that was happening. It says in, in Matthew chapter 26, Verses 3 through 4, it says this. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. The religious leaders are the ones that should have known who Jesus is in the first place. They should have recognized the fact that, hey, we're, we're Passover, you know, being reminded that it's the Lamb of God that, that, that has comes and it's blood that covers us and all that, you know. And by the way, I forgot to tell you that when they would slay that lamb back in Egypt, they took that blood and they put it on the lintel and the doorpost and it formed a cross. It was a picture of Jesus. So they should have known when Jesus came, here's the Messiah. They were looking for that. This was also a reflection backwards, but also looking forward to the coming Messiah. And they should have known that, but they were so preoccupied with the love of them, themselves that they missed the whole point. They were sold out, and they were going through the motions. And it says here that they were sneaking around trying to plot a way to arrest Jesus by stealth to kill him. They wanted to do it in secret because they feared people. The crowd at this point was with Jesus. They, they, they were infatuated with Jesus. They, they kind of loved Jesus. And so they, they were, they, there would have been a problem if they would have just arrested him in blind daylight. And so they were trying to figure out a way to get Jesus in a situation where they could capture him with minimal uh, you know, eyes on. They would, he would, that this thing would go unnoticed. Like people wouldn't even recognize it. And then they just began like, hey, where'd that Jesus guy go? Yeah, I don't know. He just didn't show up. Because we read in another account that they were wondering if he was going to be here during this feast. Maybe they're trying to just get him out of the way. But the reality is they're sneaking behind the scenes trying to uh, come up with some kind of device, some kind of plan uh, to kill the Son of God. They had to do it by stealth. Let me tell you something. Selling out often begins in the secret. It often begins in the secret of what you're doing in your own home, in, in, in the quietness of your own heart, the things that you're allowing in, the things that you're allowing to penetrate your life that you're receiving in, in the darkness. That's where selling out starts. Uh, James tells us that in, in the first uh, chapter of James, it talks about sin as being a, like a cascade effect. That, you know, basically you have desires within you and when you give in to those desires, sin is birthed and sin goes forth into your life and it just breeds like a cancer and it just spreads everywhere. So we have to be careful not only with our own desires but what we allow into us because that can be, that can create that cascade effect of, of allowing us to go from being sold out to sellouts. I don't mean that you can lose your salvation or anything like that. What I'm saying is that you can, you can live in such a way that you're constantly fumbling around and you're trying to live in this freedom that Christ says that you can live in. You know, if the sun set you free, you're free indeed. And you're like, yeah, that's a great scripture. I'm not really experiencing that in my life. And then the next question becomes, well, what are you doing in your life? What are you allowing in your life? What are you watching? What are, you, are you taking every thought captive? Are you trying to squash those desires that are within yourself. Paul said that I beat my body into submission. What are you doing to allow that freedom to come in your life? 
because it comes at, at, at a price. Christ sets you free. The chains are off. The choices are yours at this point. They're sneaking around, but their sin is breeding within. And they're becoming darker and darker and darker. Now they say, oh, man, we need to capture him. You, you see, their, their motive is, is found in John chapter 11. And here's what it says in verses 47 through 52. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the, the council and said, what are we to do? For this man, speaking of Jesus, performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He said not this of his own uh, accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And so this encounter happened prior to this, this, this council, but that is the motive behind it. You see what it says there. Their motive is that they are afraid of losing their positions. They're afraid. It's them first and then the nation. You notice that? Isn't that how it is in your life? You first and then everybody else? Isn't that the way it works? That's the natural bent for our lives, isn't it? Me first and then every. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says God first, then others, and never myself. You will never find a scripture in the Bible that says, just love yourself a little bit more, would you? Just, just coddle yourself, you know? You, just get in touch with your inner being and love yourself. No, the Bible says do not love yourself. Because the love of yourself is a perpetual motion of sin. We, we, not that, don't misunderstand what I'm talking about in terms of having, having esteem and confidence. We ought to have those as believers, but not in ourselves. It ought to be in the Christ in us. Our identity is not in us, is it? And so I'm not loving the old me, I'm loving the new me, which means I'm loving the Christ in me. And so that's what I'm pouring into. I want the Christ in me to come out. And so I'm loving the Christ in me so that other people can be loved by the Christ in me. That's what I'm doing. I'm investing in, you know, pouring myself out into the scriptures and into prayer and getting to know God more because that in and of itself is building the inner man up that I can live this life that Christ calls me to. The chief priests and the, and the elders, the council, the Sanhedrin, these guys are concerned about themselves. Now, what you have to know about Jesus is he offended these guys highly. He offended the scribes theologically. He, he offended the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees economically when he came into, the, you know, into the, the temple and he flipped over the tables and he, you know, the money changers and all of that. That affected their economy. They didn't like that. He did it twice. They really didn't like it the second time. The first time they didn't like it, but the second time they really didn't like it. And he also offended the Herodians politically. And so Jesus, essentially the entire head of Israel, as it were, the, those who would be sort of guiding the people, he offends them all because what he is saying is totally contrary to what they're doing. In fact, the book of Ezekiel says the shepherds of Israel during this time are going to, they're, they're going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be stripping, uh, they're going to be fleecing the flock of God. They're going to be taking me, I think it's Ezekiel 36. But they're taking away, the, they're focused on themselves. They love themselves. They don't love the people. They don't love the nation. They love themselves. The one thing that they care about is taking care of their position. That's what they're concerned about. That is their motive. Their motive is the, is the same motive of most people. Take care of number one which is me. Just, I'm just going to take care of number one. They had no care about truth at all or how that truth might affect their lives. And therefore, they were prime candidates for being sellouts. 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 They should have known who the Messiah was, and yet they didn't. What we notice about John's uh, account there in chapter 11 is Caiaphas makes a profound prof prophetic statement. And he says, one life for one nation. 
for one people. One life for one people. And he's saying, uh, you know, it makes sense here. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He doesn't even understand what he is saying is reality. That is the truth. That's exactly what will happen because God ordained it that way. That one man would lay down his life for the world. And his name is Jesus. That was the plan. It had always been the plan. How in control are they if that was always the plan? So why are you worried today about what you're encountering in your life? When you see what God has orchestrated from the beginning of time, understanding what will happen in the Garden of Eden and the fact that he's going to deliver us through the son of Eve, through the seed of Eve, he is going to deliver mankind. And, 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 and so, you know, what are you worried about? He had a plan then. He has a plan now. He delivered them. He'll deliver you. He tells you that you just focus on me and walk on my, my path. You'll be okay. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't try and be in control. Just let the Lord work. Is that hard? It's hard to do. It's hard to do because we think that we know better. And yet, all along, God, God knows and he is sovereign in, in, his, in what he does. And so, you know, we can, we can rest in that. Stop trying to control it. And just let the Lord take over and walk behind him rather than in front of him. Amen? That's what these guys, had these guys done that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, have, missed, they wouldn't have missed the Messiah. Listen, we have to beware of loving ourselves too much. Again, it's not wrong to have confidence or esteem, but it should be in Christ and Christ alone. So we, hear, we see here that these guys are plotting and planning at a po- moment in time where people are planning and pre- preparing for, this, for the Passover, but these guys are planning and preparing for a whole different kind of lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Love of self is a surety to selling out. Secondly, if you're taking notes, greed is also, is always at the heart of selling out. Greed is always at the heart of selling out. Look at verse 3. Here we have another character enter the scene. We have the, we have the, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the council. They're all in cahoots together. They've laid aside their differences to crucify Jesus. Now we see a whole different attack. Verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas, who called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve, and he went away to confer with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. So when the religious leaders were, were meeting together and they were trying to determine, you know, and by the way, this happens on Wednesday evening, we believe, chronologically, like Jesus is going to be uh, taken, you know, Thursday is the Passover, Thursday evening, they'll be celebrating that. We'll get into Thursday morning here and the, and the rest of our scripture here after we deal with Judas, but it's Wednesday night right now. Judas is probably, they're probably with Jesus in the garden, you know, up in the, the, the Mount of Olives, you know, as Jesus often went there, traveling from Jerusalem to Bethany, and he would stay in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and uh, they were probably there, and Jesus was hanging out with them, talking to him, pouring into him and everything, and, and here we find that Satan entered Jesus, Judas. At the very same time, there's this meeting happening at Caiaphas' house, and they're saying, how are we going to deliver, how are we going to arrest this guy and crucify him? How are we going to do it? And all of a sudden walks in the way. Whoa, what convenience. Look how the Lord provided. Oh, look, God, you're so good. You brought this man, Judas, into our house to help us accomplish exactly what we were talking about. Coincidence? Oh, we don't believe in coincidence. It's, it's God ordained. And yet, oftentimes, we think that when we start walking by signs and we start walking by open doors and all this stuff, you, don't you think Satan can open doors? Do you not think that the enemy can open doors? The question is, is it the will of God or not? That's really the question. That was free, by the way. I didn't even plan that one. But here's the reality. Here's the reality is that the enemy is at work. And he's at work right now in your life. And I will tell you, he doesn't have to work very hard. He doesn't have to work very hard. It's really easy for him to do uh, these things, to sway us. 
Now, he has this guy, Judas, who is called Iscariot. His name, probably Iscariot, probably uh, because of where he was from. It, that word means a man from Kirioth, which was a city in, in Judea. Now, what you know about the disciples is they were all Galileans, except for Judas. Judas is the only one from a different region. Judas, none of these guys know Judas. They don't know his family. They don't know his friends. They don't know anybody that hangs around him. And so Judas is sort of like able to conceal who he is because he's a thief at heart. And so somehow, you know, the Lord knows who he is exactly, but no one else knows who he is except for the enemy and Jesus. They know exactly who he is at heart, and it, it would be that the Lord would provide the son of perdition, which would be Judas. And he would come from a different city so that he could accomplish uh, God's plan, which was to turn over Jesus to be crucified for our sin. They didn't know him, but he was a thief. And yet, Jesus, knowing this, put him in charge of the money of, those, uh, of the disciples. He said, here, you're going to be the money handler of our group. You're going to be the treasurer of our group. And so it, it, the Bible tells us that Judas often helped himself to the, those funds. And in fact, when Mary had anointed Jesus with that expensive oil, it was Judas that began to get upset. And then all the, uh, he riled all the other disciples up and everything. But in John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he, was, uh, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself. He used to help himself to what was put in it. So Judas Judas didn't care about the people. He didn't care about helping other people. He cared about himself again. He's a prime prime, uh, category there for being a sellout because he's loving himself more than anything. And yet he would still, from the purse strings of God, whoa, whoa, now, Stealing's wrong, right? But stealing from God, you know, it, it, it seems like, I don't know, I don't know if there's a difference because it's stealing, but, you know, to me, like, this is God's stuff. Like, like I'm like, you know, with God's money, I'm like, uh, I don't even want to spend it here. I'll spend my own money. I don't want to spend God's money. This is God's. I don't want to, you know, do anything with God's money because I, I fear God and I'm concerned about God, and yet there are people in churches today that are stealing from God and that they're, they're taking, and I'm talking leaders in churches that are taking money from God and doing whatever they want with it. They are Judas's. They are sold out. I'm not, you know, I don't know what their deal is with salvation or anything like that, but their fruits is making themselves known. And at the end of the day, what I know is that they're loving themselves more than they love anything else. And so they would steal from the Lord. Judas is stealing from the Lord. And it says that now, Satan knowing that. Satan didn't make him a a thief, did he? He was already a thief, right? So what happened was he already had a love for money. It's not like Satan put that in him. That was something that was in his flesh. He desired money. He loved money. So Satan, it says, enters him, and then he just sways him with the very thing that is already existing within him. Oftentimes when we think about Satan entering us, we think of this possessional thing that's like you know, poltergeist, the head spins around, you know, and all this stuff. And you're thinking, oh, here's the demon possession and all that kind of stuff. Listen, nobody even knew. Nobody even knew. And the disciples didn't even see what was happening. This is a spiritual thing that was happening here in this moment that was not physical. It didn't, it didn't appear in any way to anyone. How do we know? Because at the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all looking around like, who is it? They don't know Satan's entered Judas. They have no clue. Because oftentimes the enemy, you know, it's not necessarily possession, it's influence. Not necessarily, not that, not that there are, not that the demons don't possess people, and so that's definitely scriptural and it's, it happens. But what I'm saying is that he's influencing, the, uh, he's influencing Judas here. All he's doing is enticing him with the desires that are already in his heart. He is a thief. He loves money. And so the enemy would just start to pick at that. You know, you look at the account of Acts chapter 5, verse 3, where it says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? Here again, we see that, you know, it's the enemy that had filled the heart of Ananias. It wasn't like he was possessed. He just, he started to, 
to, to pull the strings of the desires of his heart. Hey, I want you to appear like you're a real giver, Ananias, and I want you to kind of make everybody think that you're giving everything you got, but you're going to hold back this because you love money. So you just hold it back, but you tell everybody you gave it all so that you get the praise, but then you still have the money too. It works out for everybody. Hey, right on. Uh, the Lord also said this to Peter. Remember when, when uh, the Lord told Peter, I'm going to die. Peter said, far be it from me, Lord. And Jesus turned around and he looked him square in the eyes and he said, get behind me, Satan. To be a Christian, I, I think it's unbiblical to say that a Christian can be possessed by a demon because we can only be filled with one spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, then you can't be possessed by another spirit. But here's what I can tell you is that you can be influenced. You can be influenced by spirits. You can be influenced by darkness. You can be influenced by the enemy. And what he is going to do is influence you in areas that you like. How many of you have ever been tempted that in something that you don't like? That's not called a temptation, is it? It's like, yeah, I'm not really into drugs. Well, here, take these. You know, well, no, I, I, don't, I don't want, I don't, I'm not into that stuff, you know. But hey, look at this. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're scrolling wrong on your computer, like, whoa, look at this. And you're like, whoa, whoa. You, there's the temptation. Something that you like something that you desire, something that's within your heart, in your flesh, that wants to come out in you. That's what the enemy begins to, 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 to do. And, and Judas, he starts to pull him away by drawing him with his own desires. If Satan were not here today, you would still be a sinner. You know that? And you would still sin. And we'll see that in the millennial kingdom where there's, Satan will be bound for a thousand years and people will still sin. And Jesus will rule with an, a rod of iron during that time because we, by nature we are sinners and that desire is within us. And it's only the, the blood of Christ that can release that bond of, of the old nature and then it's the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us free from that. And that's how that works. But, but the enemy is just enticing him. And notice what it says here. He went his own way in verse 4 there. Uh, you, you know, the enemy enticed him, swayed him to go his own way. When you go your own way, you're going to go sin. When you're going your own way, you're going to sin. Fleawood Mac had it right. Go your own way, you know what I mean? You go your own way, you go your own way, and you will find yourself in sin. Because going your own way is going the way of the flesh. I don't want to go my own way. I want to go the way of the Lord. And if Judas had said, hold on a second, I'm going my own way. I need to turn away from that. He would not have uh, failed in this. He was a greedy man. He was enticed. And the religious leaders, he comes to the religious leaders, I'll do it. I'll betray him for 30 pieces of silver. This is nothing. 30 pieces of silver is nothing. It's not like it's a substantial amount of money. It's nothing. It's literally the, the amount that they would pay, um, you know, some peasant slave if his life was, was uh, given over, if he were gored by an ox or something like that, they would give him 30 pieces of silver. That was what his life was worth. They're saying that Jesus' life is worth that of a slave. They're saying, here's his, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. He's not worth a dime more. Not worth a dime more. This was prophetic. In the book of Zechariah, it speaks about God saying, the, the amount of my life will be 30 pieces of silver. It'll be nothing. And yet Judas would gladly take it because he is greedy. And he loves greed. Satan, <laughs> Satan had everybody fooled in the room. Everybody got what they wanted. And yet, God is, uh, is, is his plan is being orchestrated and it's going to happen exactly the way that he called it to. Exactly. Is this beautiful? Talk about backfire on the enemy. Here he thinks he's in control. And yet he's not in control at all. He is so blind to the fact of the sovereignty of God here, that he, he doesn't understand that when Jesus gives up his life, he loses control. He loses all power, like, over everyone. There is, the swaying is gone. The Holy Spirit comes down. It's a defeat of himself. And oftentimes, isn't that what it's like in your life when you're praying for God? God, give me my will. Give me this thing. I want this thing really bad. And then you get that thing, and it's a disaster in your life. You're like, Lord, why did you give me this? What are you doing? You know that I can't handle these decisions, you know? And he said, but this is you going your own way. 
It's what happens. Judas's vice was money. What is yours? What would you sell the Son of Man out for? Would it be money, sex, fame, power? What is it? Relationship? What would you betray Jesus for? It's, there's something. And the enemy is targeting it. And he's, he, if you don't suppress those desires, he will sway you. And it's not real difficult for him to do it. It's the moment that you turn your back on God and you say, I want to go my own way. And when you go your own way, you will fail. So protect yourself. That's why the Bible says put on the armor of God. Put it on every day. Don't go out into a battle half-armed. I'm just going to take my sword today. No, you need the shield today, actually. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the breastplate of righteousness. You need the belt of truth. You need feet shod with the gospel of peace. You need every single piece of armor that God has given you, you need to put on every day. And you need to battle yourself. And, and I, I love the illustration of one of my, uh, a guy that I love to listen to, Pastor Damien Kyle, Calvary Chapel, Modesto, California. He said, I get up in the morning, I look myself in the mirror, and I say, I'm going to battle you all day long. I'm going to battle you all day long. He's not worried about the enemy, is he? I'm going to battle you all day long. You have to realize that. It's a battle of the flesh. You're going to battle yourself all day long. It is true. It's absolutely true. Now, the ploy isn't new. Satan has long been trying to kill Jesus. He's long been trying to kill Jesus. From day one, the Garden of Eden, you know, when he betrayed, when Adam and Eve betrayed the Lord, from that moment on, he was cursed, and he knew that a seed was coming, and that son would kill him. And so he, he takes the offspring of Adam and Eve and he takes Cain and Abel and he, he sways Cain to kill Abel, thinking that that's going to kill the seed. And yet the Lord provides a way through Seth. And then the people, you know, as they populate and they get all swayed and they do their own thing and they go their own way and everything, they, they end, the Lord gets to a place where he says, man, I'm sorry that I ever made man. I'm sorry that I ever made them. They're living licentiously. They're, they're totally turned their back on me. And so I'm going to wipe the world out through a flood, and yet the Lord would provide a way of that bloodline of Christ uh, through Noah. And then, you know, as, as time moves on, we see that Satan influenced Pharaoh to try and kill all the Israelite sons in the, in the Nile, and yet the Lord would provide and preserve the bloodline of Christ through Moses. And then we see that, you know, he continue on, and, and we, we fast forward into the New Testament where the enemy is influencing Herod the Great, to kill all the children two and under because he's in fear of his throne because he knows a Messiah is coming and he's, and he's heard by some wise men that he's now here and that it has to be, he has to be about two uh, or under and so he kills those kids trying to preserve his own throne. It, the enemy didn't have to sway him too hard. But it was the work of the enemy and, and the Lord preserved Jesus through Joseph and Mary by an angel appearing to them, and they fled to Egypt. And then Jesus finds himself in the, in the wilderness. Here he is, fasting, and he's being tempted over and over by the, by the enemy, and the Lord gives him perseverance to, through by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right after he's baptized, the Holy Spirit falls on him. He's in the wilderness. He's being tempted, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, the enemy flees from him. And he says, there is an appointed time, and that appointed time is this time right now. It is the appointed time. And the enemy is going to be defeated again. Over and over and over and over again, the enemy is defeated. And so that should give you hope this morning. That no matter what you're experiencing in your life today, that over and over and over again, God has delivered you. He set you free. He, he's continued to be faithful to you in every situation. He's always been there for you. He will never turn his back on you. And so don't turn your back on him now. When you're in times of trouble, in times of need, when you're doubting, turn to the Lord, press into him. He is faithful, man, and he will not let you down. He will do that. Satan is going to be defeated, and yet here we find everybody in this meeting getting what they want, and the Lord's getting what he wants to because he ordained it. 
from the foundation of the world that although Jesus would be crushed, the enemy would, you know, he would, he would clip his heel. Jesus would crush his head. So there we have the, the, the two sellouts. And then we find ourselves going into verses 7 through, through 9 here where their preparation for the, 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 um, the Passover. And it says, Then they came to the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, to the pa- go prepare for the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? Now, here's what somebody that's sold out looks like. And I'll run through this briefly, but here's the reality is. When you're sold out to Jesus, you do what he says, and it doesn't have to make sense to you. Like, you've got to be thinking right now, are you kidding me? Like, go prepare. Oh, just go prepare for the Passover. There's only like 2 million people in Jerusalem right now. There's really probably no place at all to find a place to prepare, but go prepare like I'm going to run out of Publix and get some turkey and stuff on, tur- on Thanksgiving Day and I'm going to prepare like that. Like why didn't we think about this a week ago or two weeks ago? We should have had this prepared beforehand, but they don't do that. They don't start complaining to the Lord. They just say, Lord, what do you want to do? Where do you want me to go? That's what somebody sold out looks like. They don't start asking questions and trying to, trying to gain understanding before they start taking steps. They walk by faith. They say, Lord, you tell us what to do and we'll do it. And that's exactly what they do. They, they come to the Lord and they say, where will you have us prepare? I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know how to deal with this. Perfect. Let me tell you what to do. That's the heart. Don't try and figure it out. Come to the Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? What's the next step, Lord? And then take that step of faith. Here's what he says. He gives them exactly what they need to do. When you enter the city, you're going to see a man. He's going to be carrying a a, a jar of water. Now, this was uncharacteristic for a man in this culture to carry a jar of water. That's a women's work. Sorry, but it is during this culture. And uh, and so, you know, in this day and age, you you don't we're not sure what is, but um, well, got to be careful. My wife is here, so you know. But uh, no, you have to be. You know. But, but he was giving them a sign, something that was abnormal. Out of two million people, you're going to see a dude walking with a jar of water, and that's the guy that you want to follow. Follow him to the house and find the master of the house and tell him, hey, the Lord is ready to come, and he'll show you where to go. Now, this sounds insane. I mean, who does that? Jesus. Jesus does that, and you know that. And yet, why are you questioning every time he asks you to do something like this? What? Talk to them right now? Are you insane? You know how many people are here? I'm not doing that. You know what I'm saying? God puts you in circumstances and situations where you've got to step out, man. You've got to walk by faith. If he's calling you to do it, he's already prepared the way. You know that? The works are already set from the foundation of the world. All you've got to do is walk in them. You don't have to figure it out. Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And so they do exactly what he says. And they, they go to this place, and the, and the guy shows him this upper room, and it's furnished and prepared for them, and then they're able to go and prepare for the Passover uh, meal here. It says they found it just as he had told them. Shocker, right? Shocker. But it is in our lives oftentimes. When God does exactly what he says he's going to do, and we worry and fret and we're concerned and we're trying to figure it out and we're like, we're like the Marthas and we're getting all worked up over everything. And the Lord just says, dude, chill. That's what he says to me. The Lord ever say that to you? Chill, man. I got this in control. Would you just trust me? He's got to talk to me a little bit like that because he knows how my, main, my, my brain works. But he's seriously, man, he's like, come on. You know this. I've done it over and over and over again. And yet what, what's amazing to me is that the Lord never grows tired of his children continuing to come and, and mustering up the strength. And then when they failed, coming back and saying, okay, Lord, show me how to do it. And he says, finally, I love it when you come to me that way. Would you start that way? These disciples, they were sold out to the Lord. They didn't have to understand all of everything. And yet we will see in portions in, in, in Scripture to come that there's opportunities for all of them to be sellouts, all of them to be sellouts. And the opportunity is for you as well. So the question is, which are you today, and how do you cross over from from, from being a sellout to being sold out? And if you're sold out already, how do you maintain that? Uh, Step one, step one, you come to Christ, right? He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He empowers you. He sets you free. The chains have been broken. 
you are now set free. But, but that's step one. Step two, the Bible says, is that you start to walk in the Spirit. That you walk in the Spirit, the newness of life. He talks about walking in newness of life. That newness of life is the Spirit of God in your life. And you start to walk in that. And when every time the old man rears up, you say, no, you were crucified. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so you battle yourself over and over again. And you, you see, and the Bible tells us clearly that when the enemy enters into your life, you're, to simply, you're simply to flee. You're simply to, to resist him and he will flee. You resist him and he will flee. And, that, and if you do those things, you will live this life out that he's calling us to live. But if you don't, you're going to continue to struggle. You're going to continue to waffle back and forth. Sell out, sold out, sell out, sold out. And you're going to live this life of just continual, you know, way low, way high. And the Lord would say, that's not, that's not exactly the way that I would have you live. I'm calling you to live up here. It doesn't mean that there's no struggle. Don't get me wrong. But the victory is there. And it's walking in victory. You've got to know yourself, Christian. You've got to know what you struggle with. You've got to be honest with yourself and say, I can't handle these things in my life. I'm not powerful enough, you know, to, to allow these kind of things in my life. You know, if it's cable, then turn it off. It's your, if it's the Internet, turn it off. Jesus said, cut your hand off if it causes you to sin. What he's saying is get the stuff out of your life that is setting you up to fail. Stop letting yourself be sellouts and start being sold out. Walk in it. And he's given us all the equipment to do that, man. He's given us the power of the Spirit. He's given us the, the, the armor of God. And now he tells us to just walk in it. Just walk in it, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be as these disciples are in this moment, Lord, as they just are following you with everything that they have. Lord, that you would help us today to lay aside all those things that hinder us, Lord, that we would be honest this morning, say, Lord, I got these struggles in my life. Lord, I'm struggling with this, and I need, I need to cast it at your feet this morning, and then I need to walk in, your, in the forgiveness that you've given me, but also in the power that you've given me. You want us to turn to you, Lord. You're the answer for everything. And it's not that we won't go through difficult times in our life, Lord. We know that that um, there, part of the path for the Christian is, is a path. It's a road that's marked with suffering, Lord. But that's okay because we know that you'll see us through every, every ounce of pain that we in, endure. And that somehow through that, Lord, you're going to get glory. And so we trust you, Lord. Help us to trust in your sovereign plan for our life, Lord. To know that every step that we take that you've ordained, that you've seen, Lord, even the, the steps where we take outside of your will, God, you knew, and you would put things in our path to bring us right back on track. Lord, you're so good to us. So this morning, God, we just want to offer ourselves up as Jesus did here. We living sacrifice is holy and acceptable to you, Lord. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, set the captives free, Lord. Set every person free in this place, Lord, that has allowed themselves to be in chains. Lord, help us, God, to have a mind of Christ, to love you with everything that we have. Lord, to pursue you with everything that we have, to, to, to run after you, Lord, and forsake ourselves. So we're asking you today, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, to fill us, Lord, Help us to cast those desires away, those evil things that our flesh longs for. And let us be satisfied in your spirit. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, Lord, the Lamb of God. Cover us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we just take a few minutes to end our service with some prayer, worship, give you an opportunity to respond, you could come to the altar. You can come and ask the Lord to heal you, to remove things in your life, whatever it is that you desire. There's some guys on the sides that will pray with you if you'd like prayer. Also, if you need healing, this, or if you, need, you want prayer for healing in your life today, you can come forward. We'll anoint you with oil, just as the scriptures talk about in the book of James. We have the elders present here today, and if you're sick and you've got 
chronic things going on in your life, we're just going to take the command of Scripture and we're going to have the, the, the elders come and anoint. So if that's you, you come forward as well. You can come up to Mike over here and Brian will come over to the side and, and uh, pray with you as well. But let's just take an opportunity here this morning and just respond to the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.